Welcome along to another episode of the Make It Count podcast. Hello. That's Matt. And I'm David. And we're here, we're bringing you another episode of the Stephen Covey series, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And... It's number four now, isn't it? Number four. Yeah, as I was thinking about this, I was remembering, oh, it's many years ago now, and I was meant to be doing my, well, I was doing my GCSEs, my General Certificate of Secondary Education. Was um, meant to be doing your GCSEs. I was a bit telling. Yeah, Point yeah. slip there. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was 16. These are very important exams, so everyone says, and they can actually be on your record for the rest of your life. So I suppose in that regard, they were. Mm-hmm. So what would I do? I would come home, you know, and sit down and revise. No, I wouldn't do that. I would come home and I'd sit down and I probably played quite a lot of FIFA on my Xbox. That's a football game. And hour upon hour, day upon day. And uh, my mum in this time, she knows that these are important exams, but she also knows I'm 16 now. She can't make me do anything. But she does what often happens. She, she, uh, not nags maybe, pesters a little bit. Have you done your work? Have you revised? Have you done this? And, and that sort of builds up over time. And eventually, I think I must have just flipped. Right? I was really angry. So I stopped nagging me. That probably came from two places. One, it is annoying being nagged. And two, I wasn't doing the work and I kind of knew I should have been doing the work. So it was like maybe a bit of a insecurity there or I'm being found out. Everyone knows I'm not working, but I am. Anyway, I exploded at her. I got really angry. Uh, But that's not the end of the story. Because actually, my mum then wrote me a letter. Bearing in mind, I was still living in the same house. She wrote me a letter and she said, you know, we've we've never parented someone your age before. I was the oldest child. She said, we're still learning. We're still trying to figure it out. I'm sorry that I came across this way. Like, it'd be great if we could move forward. And that was something that was brilliant into that that we can maybe cycle back to why that was such a useful thing later in the conversation. But today we're talking about two things, really. We've been talking about the first three habits of highly effective people, which were be proactive, start with the end in mind, and um, put first things first. Yeah, that's right. I do know them. And they're all like private victories. That's what Stephen Covey says. These are like personal and private things you do. But now we're moving, we're shifting. The The next three habits are public, right? And so there's a little bit where we need to set the scene around what that means. And then we're going to go into habit four the, towards the end of this episode, which is about thinking win-win. Brilliant. Any thoughts so far, Matt? I really like that story. And actually, that's that only came to light recently, isn't it? I think you refound that letter. Yeah, I, re- I still have the letter. And yeah, I rediscovered it. I mean, needless to say, I never had to have a letter written to me. <laughs> no, you were quite the diligent studier. In fact, I remember for you, when you were studying, you would sit there and wrestle with these problems for hours and hours. You're like, but the textbook says this other answer, and I'm sure this is the right way. And it would turn out that, yeah, the textbook was wrong, but you'd spend like, literally hours that was really s- annoying. trying to do that. Yeah. It was really annoying when you'd spent a long time trying to get to the answer that they had in the book, and then it did turn out, yeah, that it was just a typo or something. Mm. But, uh, yes... So, yeah, we were quite different in that regard. Different temperaments. I had a reformation somewhere a few years later. um, (laughs) David's personal reformation. The great reformation of Dave. (laughs) And 
But something Stephen Covey introduces in this part, almost like between Habits 3 and 4, he says, now we're public facing. Here's a really important concept. Mm. The emotional bank account. Ooh. Everyone has an emotional bank account. And you can deposit or you can withdraw. It works like a normal bank account. Go figure. And that's really about mm -hmm. the level of trust and safety that there is in mm. that relationship. Very interesting. That is interesting. It's probably a concept that most people maybe haven't heard of or considered before. Mm -hmm. But I think as as soon as you hear it, it does seem oh, it's quite intuitive, actually. It does make sense. Mm. And every interaction is either a withdrawal or a deposit into mm -hmm. that for the other person. Mm. So for, for you and me, for example, how would I make a deposit into your emotional bank account? Well, I could be kind to you in everyday things seems really obvious but when you're kind to somebody that, that's building up a, a deposit yeah that's depositing in in your it's building bank up account. the bank account building the emotional up. bank account yeah if i show you courtesy if i keep my commitments mm. if i uh, yeah so so those sorts of ideas of depositing uh, make a really big difference and what he basically says is these are the things you do you show respect you are kind you are trustworthy you keep your commitments when there is trust is high communication is easy right because even if i say something that isn't that clear you'll be like oh yeah i'm fairly sure that that's that's what you're trying to say it's like communication is easy but when trust is low mm -hmm. ooh, yeah and so obviously <laughs> taking a deposit from you is almost all the opposite. If I disrespect you, if I'm unkind to you, if I say, Matt, hey, let's record a podcast now and then I don't show up, that's broken a commitment. That's probably one of the biggest things that breaks that trust and takes a withdrawal. So if I'm rude or any, any of those things, yeah. I mean, even one of the things he writes in the book is playing God. I think, you know, maybe that, that was, you know, like, ah, oh, I'm controlling your life. Maybe we've all had bosses and managers that, like, micromanage. Yeah. And that, like, takes a big withdrawal. And so often you can end up with a negative bank account. Then. Wow. And obviously then, when trust is low, when the emotional bank account is low, everything is hard. Communication is hard. Everything is harder because we're on eggs. We're, like, trying to work it out. But actually... There are real consequences when we are unkind to people. For sure. And I think one of the things that came out where, when we were discussing this earlier and went away and had a quick flick through the chapter and watched a video, it, this, these interactions, it's not something that you can kind of do a quick win with a personality hack or mm. oh, just do these behaviours. Mm -hmm. It comes from the well within it comes from those three habits that you set aside before which is why they're the, f the first three and the foundational ones that private win mm. you've got to do the character development really liked this statement from it when he said you can't get the fruits without the roots mm. of course it's a little bit cheesy but if you haven't put the time it's only cheesy because everyone <laughs> since has read this book and overused it and it's a bit cliche now yeah but there's so much truth to that is if, if you haven't sunk the, the roots deep into the character development getting those you know the first three habits right and getting your character right it doesn't matter how many hacks or things you try to remember to do in your interactions actually it's not coming from a heart of i truly want the other person to win you're really going i want to win and i'm using them 
even if you're deceiving yourself in that. Mm. And he says a couple of things around that, really. And this is why the book is framed in the way it is, which is the private victories preceding the public victories. He basically says, you can't be successful with other people if you haven't paid the price of success with yourself. And then he even goes harder and he says, self-mastery and self-discipline are the foundations of good relationships with others. And I think, Mm. well, that kind of makes sense because... If one of the most important things about relationships with other people is keeping commitments, and I can't even keep commitments to myself, how can I keep commitments with other people? How can I be a person of of character and integrity if I haven't done the inner work, the private battles first? And so that's something that comes through really strong. That's really interesting. I mean, I suppose... It is really interesting because we've spoken about this on a previous episode about, uh, it might have been course correcting Matt one, about just how I've personally struggled with when it comes to doing some of these personal time management, whether it's putting a thing on a calendar or setting a goal aside. Mm. And if it's just me involved and I've not included anyone, there's a higher chance that I won't follow through on that. Mm. And you basically were like, well, you've got to get yourself in order and manage yourself and I totally get that but I think it's probably a natural thing of we the, the consequences of letting someone else down can be immediately obvious mm. and so I, I suppose it would be a very clear withdrawal from their emotional bank account and even just that trust and whatever mm. whether it's with your job you might get reprimanded if you've let a friend down well they'll only keep asking you out to things so often until they stop asking those sort of things but with yourself it's kind of like well i'm i'm not going to beat beat myself up or or whatever there's the consequences aren't so obvious Mm. but i suppose going just to round it back you end up believing oh i don't follow through with commitments to myself and so your word to yourself becomes Mm wishy-washy and therefore your word to other people unless there is a clear something on the line probably is also that way Mm. and i think there's an element maybe i'm a bit too hard line on this but that actually it's keeping that's why i think in many organizations we have so many meetings Mm. because we know if we get a meeting we get 10 people together most of us are going to show up and something will happen but actually the hard work that happens in the private victories, the begin with the end in mind, being proactive and putting first things first, that's the hard work. That's the roots. Mm. And I think sometimes we use the personality trick of, oh, I'll just do it with somebody else because that'll keep me accountable. So why don't I have to do it myself? I don't have to do the hard work of developing the character. And that's kind of what he says in the book. He said, so many people over the last 50 to 100 years have looked at the personality ethic. He said, for hundreds of years, for thousands of years, we put on a, a pedestal the character ethic. And what does the character mean? And what well, part of character is keeping commitments to yourself and to others and working from that place of integrity. And I wonder if, like you said, there's a little bit of like a, a personality trick of like, well, if I do it with somebody else, I will have to do it. And it's like trying to shortcut the but actually, what do I really want? And then maybe that comes into a little bit of the win-win later that we're going to talk about. Mm. Um, but back to the emotional bank account, he basically said there are six main ways you can make a deposit in an emotional bank account, find somebody's match account. And the number one, which I thought was really important, was 
understand the individual. Hmm. And that's really obvious in some regard and really counterintuitive in other ways. But it's like, well, everyone is different. I know you, if I want to make a, a deposit in your bank account, there are certain behaviours I do that um, are different than, for example, our dad. He is somebody... I think the love languages is quite important in this particular one, is what I thought. So my dad, is he's an active service guy. That's how he receives love. So in order, actually, to understand him or show him some love, i go wash the car or mow the lawn. And if I haven't told him I'm going to do it, or he hasn't asked me, it's like triple love for him. <laughs> I don't know. It's like a multiplier. Um, Surprise love. Yeah. And there's something... But, like, if I wanted to show you love, it's not the same. If I go and tidy your room, not that your room's ever untidy, you'll be like, oh, Get out of my get room. Get out of my room, yeah. <laughs> but actually, you're more of, like, a quality time. You love good conversations. You love having a laugh. But you also love a hug. You don't love hugs from me yet, but, you know... That's all right. That's coming. Well, it's because you're weird at hugging. But, yeah. you know. <clears throat> no, I think you make it weird. I'm good at hugging. Hmm. Anyway, but there's there's <laughs> an understanding the individual. And if you understand them, you can you see what is important to them. Mm. And so that comes back to the really at the beginning, this connection bit. We'll try and move on to the habit four in a minute. But he says, you can't get to interdependence unless you first have independence. Yeah. And, but this part is about choosing. Oh, what is important to Matt? Okay, I'll do that with him. And I was thinking, you know, I'm getting married this summer. And there are various things that are important to Charlotte that they will now become important to me because that's what she loves. That's how one of the ways I can show love. And maybe that is just simply every now and again on a Saturday night watching Strictly Come Dancing uh, or whatever it is. Is that what it's called? Strictly. Well, yeah. It's a TV show about dancing. Yeah, they do dancing. Yeah. I still like the edited version where you just see the dances. I think it would be about half an hour. You don't have to hear the talking. Yeah. All the jabbering. Anyway, I'm working on it. Working on <laughs> it. It's interesting, that first one, I want to say. Hmm. Just one thing and then we move on. But a little while ago, I was listening to a podcast and it was just about relationships and communication. That was the, the theme of this series. And they had this married couple on that were talking about when they'd been through some really rocky times they were ended up in therapy and often it was kind of daggers and daggers out in the mm. therapy and there was this one critical moment this almost turning point moment where something changed for the husband um the wife basically was in tears and bawling out and going i just i want you to say three words to me and he was like like any good husband would oh yeah obviously you know i love you she said no that's not it that's not the words i want you to say i want you to say i understand you well that's really interesting and that was that was definitely not what i was expecting to hear her say and i'm sure that was a paradigm shift for him in that moment Mm. oh the way that i show i love you is through seeking to understand you Mm. definitely so i'm going to run through the rest of the five i understand you really important like understand the individual attending to little things Mm. sometimes the little things are the big things keeping commitments i think we should go we've talked a little bit about that but basically that one will take a huge withdrawal if you if you don't keep a commitment it's a big withdrawal um 
but in the same way keeping commitments is a big deposit but not probably as big as the loss you have if you don't yeah. and if you think about trust and, and the emotional bank account that's a really big one clarifying expectations mm. that's number four um, showing personal integrity and he, he really talked about the idea of being loyal to the person not present so are you gossiping basically <laughs> that was quite a big one about emotional bank account and apologizing sincerely when you've made a withdrawal and i think draw back to the story i told right at the beginning my mom did that incredibly she doesn't have to how many parents are apologizing to their 16 year old sons who's Not exploded very many. in their face who's exploded in their face yeah but i think she also recognized yeah. that it was like oh i've i've nagged a little bit there too much and i've just made too many withdrawals over time and, and actually and understanding that she probably knew she had to be the one that initiated any sort of reconciliation yeah, because I wasn't. a 16 year old does not have the emotional capacity to do that and the reason i thought about this story is stephen covey talks about a similar situation where a parent has a son and all the parent ever says is you know tidy your room do your top button up you know clean this do that do this and he said well what's going to happen is they're going to have some important life decisions to make and you've emptied your emotional bank account with them. Wow. And so your knowledge, your experience, your wisdom is not going to be wanted because you've taken out of the, the emotional bank account. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's, that's important. You know, we have emotional bank accounts open with everybody. Everybody you're in a relationship, whether it's your boss, your brother, like Matt, your, your spouse, whoever it is, we all have these emotional bank accounts. And this is really such an important thing to think about mm. are you depositing or are you withdrawing we're going to move quickly we've got like, like seven minutes left if we push it have it four think win-win matt brief overview what, what are you hearing here i love the he, he used to when he was presenting he would go up and do a demonstration mm. he would get someone from the audience up and and say we're gonna we're gonna have a competition we're gonna have an arm wrestle mm. And he would sort of get them and say that these are the rules, basically. If if you beat me, uh, you get a quarter, which is like 25 cents, I think. And if I beat you, then I get a quarter. And actually, we're just going to have... It's going to be timed. So after each one, reset, and then you go again. And if you win more times, you get more quarters. He said this was... But actually, we're not providing them. The, those people over there are providing the quarters. And so he said, all right, you ready? Are you ready? Okay, we're going to start. They start the time and then the the other person, they hold for a couple of seconds and then he just collapses and the other person wins and then they kind of, and then they reset and then he lets them win again and then he lets them win again and then they start to kind of loosen up and then it actually they just go backwards and forwards because he goes, you see, it's more efficient that way. We're both winning. <laughs> and obviously then he starts laughing and everyone starts laughing and realising what's going on here because if you think it's a win-lose mindset, I win, he loses, at most you get one quarter. <laughs> if you then go, well, well, let's restart again and play again, you might get another quarter. But actually if you start to then work with each other, you both get lots of quarters. Mm. And that's obviously a silly example but it is a, an example of how everything in that encounter, in that interaction, is set up to show competition. Mm. One wins, one loses. But it, if, and he then says, this is quite interesting, if you have in your mind win-win and they have in their mind win-lose, you do actually have to just let them win a few times and you will take that hit before they will start to go, oh, 
maybe there's another way and they will start to let you in as well. And that's really interesting because that's quite a costly thing and maybe risky because mm. he then says, I've done this loads of times and there are some people that don't want to do it. They just want to win every time or even stranger, they, do, they just hold it down in the win position. So they've only won once. They don't get multiple ones. Like, and he said, do you want to restart? And they're like, no. What? <laughs> but that's how ingrained it is. Mm. And he says, this really powerful statement, win-lose mindset is a poison to the mind mm. but it sets in deep yeah. and most of us will go to that way like you said I think there's quite a lot of nice like, um, paradigms here mm. so the competition versus cooperation um, and Timothy Galway talks about that quite a lot in the inner game of tennis right. um, like are we, um, so much of this world is set up as competition well if you believe everything is a competition then in order for me to win you have to lose yeah. or in order for you to win I have to lose yeah. And and suddenly there are lots of people that go around just winning and they don't care what happens. They don't care who gets hurt. And he basically says, really, win-win is about wanting mutual benefit. I want you to win and I want me to win. And that happens. That's what good business is about. Good business is not about a hard-nosed win at all costs because yeah. that at best is short term. If a client comes to me in a discovery session, I'm thinking, is this win-win? Is this a win for me? Basically, can they pay me <laughs> and can I help them? But then is it a win for them? Is this something that we can do to actually make progress with this? Yeah. Or do I need to signpost them to somebody else? Mm. Because if it's not, at the end of the time, they're going to have a bad experience. They're going to write a bad review <laughs> and they're not going to promote me to anybody else. And it won't even be enjoyable. Probably. So if either of us are thinking win-lose... Well, if the client loses, that's a lose for me because of everything I've just said. They're going to be a bad reviewer. If I lose, I can't carry on doing the business. Yeah. So it needs to be a win, a win, a win for me and a win for them. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking all the time. And that's really good business. Yeah, for sure. Like you talked about with marketing a little while ago. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, oh, it was in another newsletter. I think it was James Clear one. And he was talking about with with good marketing or a good sales pitch can sell something once, sell the product once. But actually, it's the value and the service that the product gives that will make it a repeat sell. Mm. And in relationships, I think about, we've talked about some of these behaviours for emotional deposits and withdrawals, but um, he, t- he tells a story in the book that goes, you can't talk your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into. And I think so often what we end up doing is our behaviours are the product. That's the value we're either adding or not. Mm. And our talking about either explaining or apologising or making up is really the sales pitch. Mm. Will you take me back? Mm. And with relationships, there's only so many times they'll buy it, Mm -hmm. you know, before they start to go, I've heard that before, Mm. not just once, not twice, not 10 times, 100 times. Mm. Are you really going to change? And you start, so that a point you've depleted it. I think that's quite a helpful way. We we think about, our, <laughs> I suppose it's reframing everything because we're, we're talking about relationships from a monetary point of view, mm. emotional bank account, and then this sales pitch idea and, and the actual value we're adding, and it and and to go with to flip it around to the business space. So many people think business is all about money, isn't it? Right, it's all about the bottom line. You've got to be profitable because otherwise your company effectively will cease to exist. Mm. Surely, but as you're saying. It's actually about more than just that. It is actually about relationships. Mm. Ultimately, I want to serve you 
and better you where you want to move and and get some value for for doing that as well mm. yeah so i mean we've, we're trying to give quite a brief overview here and i think we're talking about win-win mm. we've seen people that win lose and i think it's just worth saying quickly there are lots of people that fall into lose win yes i'll lose so you can win and that often will come with uh, i'm a peacemaker i want peace you know like uh, you just step on me again that's the easiest way yeah and what then happens is unexpressed feelings <laughs> resentment and and are used to losing and actually he talks about a really use, useful paradigm here about courage and consideration that i really mm. like i think about it often probably one of the most often things i think about but some of us lose win people and uh, this was, was my tendency, will be considerate of the other person. What does the other person want? What does the other person need? Okay, great. And if it stops there, it's a lose-win. I'm going to lose, but they're going to win because I know what they want and what they need. Mm. Some people have the other way. They're very courageous or otherwise, and they're going to tell you what they want, and they're bold enough, and they're going to be in your face, and they're going to win, but they won't always be considerate enough to hear what the other person says. And you have to combine those things. Consideration of the other person but courage to express what you need and want as well. And when those things are working healthily together, I think that's a healthy win-win. And people, and you, if you do that well, you invite other people into that. If they're, they're stuck in a win-lose, you go, hey, I can help you win. This is a win for me, and this is how a win can happen for both of us. And so you can, you have to be courageous enough to do that and to direct that and to let that happen. So this is a really... I think a really useful uh, framework. The emotional bank account is something that is worth thinking about. Who, who am I depositing with? And when am I making withdrawals? Because actually, in, he basically says, if the bank account is high, you can have rich, deep, and meaningful relationships. When it's not, and he uses a marriage example, if it's not and trust is low, you at best get compromise. And usually you just get two people trying to live independently together. This a sort of low level of respect and there's lots of no-fly zones and they're just skating by. Wow. <laughs> and you think, oh, nobody wants to live like that. I no. want deep, rich, meaningful relationships. Not only with my wife-to-be and with my family, but with my friends. Uh -huh, well, how do I make those deposits? Because I want them to be rich and meaningful mm -hmm. and, and deep. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to end. We love having you guys along. We, was, we want you guys to have deep, meaningful, rich relationships as well. Let us know what was the most impactful thing from this episode and where you have experienced either good emotional bank account management or bad emotional bank account management. Yeah. Towards you or from you. Yeah. I was thinking about some stories where it's like, oh, I made a big withdrawal there. Yeah. yeah, listening through to some of the things you were saying, I've been realising how many emotional withdrawals <laughs> I've made from people and being like, maybe I should make that up with a sincere apology. <laughs> so, and as always, go buy the book, go read it. It's one of the most read books for a reason. It's um, probably a bit of a timeless winner, isn't it? Yeah. Right, thank you for joining us. We will see you next week for another episode of the Make It Come podcast. <laughs>